Good morning. My name is Dwayne Stolzfus. I teach in the communication department, and it's my pleasure to welcome you to the convocation that's devoted to Goshen College's only year-round SST program. My wife Karen and I had the uh, pleasure of being in Peru for a year and spending time with three different groups in the fall of 2014, spring of 2015, and summer of 2015. This convocation is going to open with music and close with music, and we would ask you to stay until the final note. This morning we'll offer just a glimpse of gifts given and gifts received in Peru during that year. In Peru, a, a beautiful and, and strikingly diverse country. So we will begin with that, que viva el Peru. heard played by Peter is was El Condor Pasa and is officially known as the second national anthem of Peru. It was written in 1913 and inspired by Andean folk tunes. So, hi everyone. 
Um, my name is Leah Raymer, and I'm currently a third year student here at Goshen College. I major in social work, and I also have a double minor in Spanish and theater. I went on SST to Peru last spring semester. The convo we have prepared for you today will be presented by several representatives from three SST groups who spent semesters in Peru in the last academic year. After the students have arrived in Lima and toured around the city a bit, it is time to meet their host families. The scene is similar each semester. Students wait with their bags inside the fellowship hall of Buen Pastor, the church where they will be taking Spanish classes for the next weeks. As host families arrive, one by one, to bring them to their new temporary home. Hi, my name is Trevor Emery, and I went on fall SST. Going into Peru, I didn't really know what to expect. I was like a newborn child in an unfamiliar land. I had some knowledge of Spanish, but it was very basic at best. I didn't know how my family would feel about my limited Spanish-speaking abilities. Would they be annoyed? Would I be able to communicate? Would I be able to be understood? Would I have adequate food? Would they even care about me at all? I knew that my attitude and how I approached the situation would make a difference. As it was my responsibility to represent my family, school, and also my country as well. The moment I met my family in Lima, all my fears were relieved. Blanca, Pepe, and Nicholas all welcomed me into their home and also into their lifestyle. They weren't annoyed that I wasn't fluent in Spanish. In fact, they went out of their way to understand me. They even had an English-Spanish translator just, uh, set up on the computers for some time the first week or so. It took up to 15 minutes in the beginning for me even to get a point across. They were very patient, the kind of patient that only a parent can give. Growing up, I didn't have a father in my life. Pepe stepped in and made me feel like I was his son by giving me encouragement and being there for me to talk to him. Blanco made me feel like I was her son as well, worrying about my ride to school, if I had enough food to eat, making me lunch, and making me healing tea when I didn't feel well and giving me lots of hugs. Nicholas, he treated me like a brother that I never had, introducing me to his friends, uh, taking me to concerts, playing soccer with me and his friends, and even staying up at night, talking and laughing while we watched his favorite shows, The Simpsons. I was sad that I had to leave for them for my service term in the jungle of San Ramon. When returning from the jungle of San Ramon, I spent my last free day in Lima with my first host family. We spent the entire day eating lunch, watching movies such as Footloose, and some Walking Dead episodes. We then went out to dinner at a nice restaurant in Lima. When it was time to say goodbyes, my family ins insisted on riding back with me to the hostel that I was staying at, a half hour taxi ride away from the house. As we said our goodbyes with tears and hugs, with, and tears and hugs, my father Pepe said to me, 
Here, son, open up your hand. I opened up my hand, and he said, and he placed the key into my hand on the keychain, and said, you come back now, son. It was the key to their house in Trios, and he said, you always have a home in Peru. Excuse me. My entire SST term was rewarding, but it was at this moment of, that my entire semester was made. <coughs> to say I was touched and moved beyond words would be an understatement. The connection I made with my family was so strong that we keep in touch daily. I went to Peru as a naive American, thinking I was going to change their lives, but in the end, they ended up changing mine. Thank you. Specifically, the group that traveled last fall semester included nine students who were studying sign language. One of these students was Abby Deaton, who then traveled to Cusco on her study portion. Good morning, my name is Abby Deaton. I uh, graduated last year. I majored in communications and minored in American Sign Language. All right. Can you go to the next slide? Awesome. Okay. Sordo. Sordo. This was the first word that I learned in Spanish and in Peruvian Sign Language. And the only reason I knew the definition is because it's the same in American Sign Language. Deaf. Deaf. Deaf is the word my mother keeps saying as taxi after taxi pulls up and then quickly drives away. I've known her for about 20 minutes. I am on my way to my host family's house and I begin to think, oh my God, there is literally nothing I can do because I don't know any Spanish, I don't know any Peruvian sign language, and I have no idea where we're going. Helplessness is pretty much unavoidable when you go on SST. You're gonna feel helpless when you don't know the language. You feel helpless because you don't know where you're going, you feel helpless because you don't know how to express yourself, and you feel helpless because you don't know how to help. But more worrisome for me was not helplessness, but hopelessness. Here I am, a woman, going to a machismo culture, and I don't know Spanish, but I know sign language, which most people don't even recognize as a language. It feels hopeless. But then I met my host mothers. So on the left is my uh, mother, Rosa. Uh, she's 55 years old, and she's the only deaf woman, or she's the only deaf person in her very large and close-knit family. Within two weeks, I have learned more sign language than everyone else in the family. And within six weeks, I realized I will be the only person in her family who will ever be able to talk to her in her native tongue. She reads lips and she speaks Spanish, although it's very difficult to understand. And her family does know a few signs. I have this very distinct memory of um, having dinner with my host family. And they're all talking Spanish, and I'm trying to understand, and my mom's trying to read their lips. And she finally turns to me and she just goes, I have no idea what they're saying. And I go, oh, what a coincidence, same here. And she thinks, 
she thinks this is so funny. So she like stops everyone. She's like, guess what she just said? And like explains it and they're all laughing. But what was kind of nice about this was that after that, my family was a little more observant and really tried to invite us into the conversation more. Another time I'm, I'm talking with my host mom and we're just talking, talking, talking. And uh, my cousin is watching and he knows some English. And after a while he goes, wow, I never realized it was a language. But understand that Mama Rosa, she is not helpless. That woman is the patriarch of that family, whether they realize it or not. Because, yeah, she cooks and she cleans, but she um, paid the bills. She had held the most jobs. She was educated. She took care of her adult children and their children. Um, she traveled more than everyone else, and she had the largest social group because of the deaf community. And most importantly, she loved fiercely. And I very much consider her to be my mother, and she will always, I will always be her daughter. So then in Cusco, I meet Clary, who is on the uh, right, Clarissa. Um, she's more like a sister to me. She's about 33, and she has a son in the picture, Jan. He's nine years old, and he's deaf. I also had a host sister who was six, and a host father who was kind of out of the picture. So when I find out that I am going to be living with a family that's hearing with a deaf child, again, I feel helpless and I feel hopeless. Because I already know what it's like for a deaf person to live in a hearing family. We studied in our culture class that if a deaf person was educated at all, they didn't start learning sign language till they were five or six. So I need you to imagine a six-year-old coming up to you and the only thing they can say is their name and yes and no. And I'm not trying to be stereotypical, but this is what every person in the ASL group experienced, except for me. Jan started school when he was three. He was really sick when he was young, and because of that illness, he became deaf. My father was really upset, um, but my mother got straight to work. She went and she found a school. The only person his age was a, a two-year-old and her parents were deaf. Um, but she didn't stop there. She, she went to a deaf church and she met deaf people. And later I talked to some of the teachers at the school and they told me that they used to hold night classes for their um, parents, but only one person came so they had to stop. And that one person was my mom. My mom also worked, which really upset my dad. Um, she used the word machismo to describe him. And she was like, well, I'm not going to stay home. That's kind of boring. There's like a lot for me to learn. So she goes to a hotel where she uh, interacts with so many people around the world because we're in Cusco. She's learning English. Um, she began to learn how to become a police officer, uh, which really upset my dad. Um, but more importantly, the money that my dad brought in was going to the family. And all the work that my mom was doing, she was saving up for surgery so my brother could hear and saving for speech therapy so he could learn to talk. My favorite memory of my mom and my brother interacting is that my brother starts to sing. And remember, he's deaf, so like you're allowed to laugh at this. He's kind of like, it's really funny um, and my mom is smiling and she turns to me and she's like he's really terrible and, 
and but she still smiles. And when he's done, she goes, "Bravo, bravo, mi prince," and gives him a hug and a kiss, like you see here. And again, that fierce, fierce love. And the thing is, I worked at the deaf school, and um, it's rare that love for a deaf child. The sacrifices she made. Um, Light years, light years away for that culture. Uh, so when I left, she really was the image of hope for the future of Peru to me, for women and for the deaf community. I know that I'm running over time, um, and you <laughs> can't really sum up your entire SSD experience in the allotted amount of time. But what I want to leave you with is that when you go on SST, if you go on SST, Embrace that helplessness. Learn from it. But while you learn to ask help, remember to always search for hope. When traveling to another country where the dominant language is not English, such as Peru, words and language can take on an added or different meaning. One student, Irene Schmidt, experienced this on a pretty personal level. Hi, my name's Irene Schmidt. I'm a senior nursing major, and I went to Peru this past summer. Um, I wrote this journal entry in Peru in response to having my name pronounced in a different way, one of the many things I wasn't prepared for on SST. When the pronunciation of your name changes, you think of it a lot more. Irene, peace in Greek. I guess I like my name, but maybe, maybe just out of obligation. Let me explain. The first form. Some might call it my given name, my English name, a name mostly given to babies born in the 1930s. It rhymes with green and being common nicknames of my childhood. It's short and sweet and to the point. It demands your mouth to make that annoying E sound, like the sound you make when imitating a broken lawnmower. It is my name, it is how I identify myself. It is one of my uniquenesses. The second form. Some might call it my Spanish name, Irene. A name much more common in other parts of the world. A name not given to me by my parents. With a stretch of the imagination, it rhymes with rainy and grainy. This form of Irene rolls off the tongue, sweetly transitioning. Sweet, but not what I am used to. Different, but different is okay too. It is my name, it is how I identify myself, it is one of my uniquenesses. So if you ask me which form I prefer, I would respond with a yes. I love hearing my given name, the first form, Irene. I love its originality, the way it ties me to my parents and family. I love my Spanish name, the second form, Irene. I love it, running into people at El Mercado with the same name as me. I love making English speakers laugh by how different it is. I love not recognizing my name because it is new and unrecognizable. It is my name. It is how I identify myself. It is one of my uniquenesses. During the study portion of SST in Lima, the groups take many field trips to learn more about the culture and history of Peru. These range from visiting museums to learn about Peruvian literature and ancient pre-Incan cultures to visiting a fair trade nonprofit, Manos Amigas, which Elizabeth will talk more about in depth. 
So my name is Elizabeth. I'm a senior education and English major, and I was in Peru, not that this indicates it, I don't know why I pointed, in <laughs> spring 2015. So as Leo was saying, we went to Manos Amigas, which is essentially the organizational piece of fair trade markets and places like 10,000 villages. So they collect all of the items that are made by local artisans and then ship them off to all of us. So we went there and I knew about fair trade shopping as I think probably a lot of you do, but what they told us was that there's also fair trade tourism. So I was really lucky because I got to experience that. The luck came through my parents coming down after SST for two weeks, and we used Manos Amigas to do fair trade tourism, which was a really different way of doing things because you paid all of the companies and tour guides fair wages, which is less common in a really touristy area, especially Cusco. So we learned more about Manos Amigas, and we lived in this hotel-esque, bed-and-breakfast esque place above the shop and then when we went to Cusco we got to visit artisans now I'll point and these adorable old people had been contributing their crafts to Manos Amigas for quite some time um, and they did all of this handcrafted silver work and what they were most proud of were the pieces that represented their culture and the flora and fauna. Um, I guess I should have put something next to these to show how small they were. The statue was a bit bigger. It's um, a local god that is really important. Um, and the little pendants are essentially traditional clothing, um, and they're very tiny. And I didn't ask them how old they were, but they're, they're looking like your grandparents probably in the 70s, so they're doing all of this intricate silver work by themselves, bare hands, it's amazing. So all of that to say, they were really proud of what they were doing, particularly what was re representing Peruvian culture and wildlife that they saw in their Peruvian home. So although this wasn't part of my SST experience, considering it was afterwards, I was with my parents, I got to do the tourism thing instead of staying with the host family and not understanding anything that was going on and ending up in places that I was really confused about, um, it added a really special element to my understanding of both the fair trade process and my experience in Peru and its people in another context. And in some ways, I would argue, that's what SST is all about. Figuring out ways to connect with and live in these contexts that are more, more honest and really vulnerably authentic. Thanks. Usually, students learn what they will be doing and where they will be headed for the next portion of SST, the service portion, about a week or so before they depart. Everyone piles up in Casa Goshen, which is where Duane and Karen, um, or the, uh, the SST leaders at the time, live, and uh, waits their turn as one by one everyone's name is called and they receive a small slip of paper that includes several key things. 
One, what city or location they will be going to. Two, what service assignment or project they will be working on for the next couple weeks. Three, who, if anyone, from the group they will be going with. And four, the names of the members in their new host families. Sometimes um, it includes all this information, but sometimes it's only bits and pieces. We will now have two students talk about their experiences during their service portions of SST. Hi, my name is Frances, and I went to SST in the fall, and I, was, I did my service assignment in Cusco, and I worked at World Vision, which um, when I got my simple paper, it said World Vision, but I had no idea what that was, so I was like really confused as to what I was doing for service. But anyway, um, like I said, for service I was placed in Cusco and I worked at World Vision. World Vision is an international organization that focuses on the health and well-being of children. World Vision links sponsors from the US, Canada, and other countries with children all over the world. I was able to work with the children in the Cusco region and being bilingual was a great advantage in my service assignment as I was able to help translate cards that were sent back and forth between the sponsors and the child. Um, the pictures over here are, the first one is Patty and Theo and myself, and it's a picture um, that just like shows what a day at work would kind of look like. Uh, we took this, well actually Dwayne and Karen took this when they came to visit me, and um, the other picture is me sitting at my desk with a lot of presents that the sponsors would send um, the children. Every day was like Christmas, only I didn't get to keep any of the presents, just unwrap them and, um, and put them in the data system. A few weeks into my service assignment, I joined a team that traveled to different communities to work directly with children. I served as a translator when World Vision took sponsors from different countries to meet their sponsored child. I once interpreted for sponsors that came from Finland. This was a unique experience because most of the families of the children didn't even speak Spanish, which made my job a little bit more difficult. Um, we had somebody interpret from Quechua, which is their native tongue, to Spanish. And then I translated from Spanish to English. And then we had somebody else translate from English to Finnish, which is the language that they speak in Finland. And this was without a doubt the longest translation chain that I had ever been a part of. Um, and yeah, it was, it was really, it, it was a really cool experience, but it was also a little awkward because it was the first time that I had ever really struggled to communicate with anybody on SST. Uh, which happened often in Cusco, especially when I went to these developing um, communities because almost nobody spoke Spanish. It kind of felt like when anybody else goes on SST, they like seek for somebody to speak English and communicate with them. I was just looking for somebody who spoke Spanish. Um, it was the visit from the sponsors in Finland that motivated me to do something that, completely, that gave a completely new meaning to my experience of SST. After the visit, I decided to sponsor a child my, of my own. I sat down at, uh, whoa, I don't know what, okay. I sat down at my desk in the office and I filled out all the paperwork. I sponsored a little girl who at the time had just turned five years old. Her name is Brisaida and I was very lucky to have the chance to meet her. It was a long journey to get to her. I uh, remember traveling for over 14 hours to get to the community where she lived. Um, but it was a very rewarding experience and I was very lucky um, to have the opportunity to meet her. It's not often that a sponsor gets to meet their sponsored child, um, yet I was able to do so, which was incredible. 
My work at World Vision and sponsoring Decida and also having the opportunity to meet her were one of my biggest highlights of my time in Peru. Thank you. Um, hello, my name is Jessica Davila, and I went to Peru this past summer. So my service assignment, <laughs> okay, so I was assigned to this little town in the jungle. It's, it was called San Ramon, and it's in the central Amazonian jungle. And I was assigned to this clinic, Clinica Lera, and it's a, which is a private clinic, and sometimes they had like surgeries and other types of things. But at the same time, I was also working at the public health center, and that's where I usually saw most of like, you know, like untreated conditions because people who could not afford going to other clinics, they would go there. And um, somewhere in the process, I met this doctor who worked for um, this mining company. And Peru is really big on mining because they have a lot of mineral resources. But then the bad thing about mining is that a lot of the waste that come from that mining goes into like rivers. And close to where I lived, uh, there was the Chanchamaya River, which is a river that branches out of the Amazonian River. And because of this uh, waste in the mining, it was no fish and like the soils around the river, um, they, could, they could barely ever be used for harvesting because they were all polluted. And the government forced uh, mining companies to have like free healthcare and nutrition programs for the, like, the communities around the river. And, uh, when I met this doctor, I started going with him to these communities. And so every Tuesday and Thursday we would go and we would like hand out medicines like um, vaccines and all other things. And since I was, I was kind of far away from like the other members of the group, uh, the way that I would sometimes try to deal with the things that I saw and experienced was through writing. So I would just like write down the things that I saw and like the stories and the people that I met every time that I went to these communities. So today I'm just gonna read one of my journal entries which um, it's about this uh, little town, Condorbamba. It's, it was like 200 people and it was like the farthest out of all of them. Like we had to drive for like four hours into the jungle. And then once you couldn't, there was no road anymore, we had to like hike up a mountain and then go down the mountain and then go up again. And then at the top of that mountain was the little town. So I'm just gonna um, read this journal entry. Five o'clock in the morning. The streets were soulless. Dark skies, no stars, yet the wind kept hitting. Silent, so silent, yet so noisy. I could hear it all. The birds, the water, the wind, all that jungle sound. The water, it sounded closer as we moved along the narrow roads crowded with greens and bright colors. The sound of water was so close yet so far away. We were venturing into the jungle, away from the people, away from the nose, the, the noise, away from the houses, away from the wood, the metal, the smoke, the plastic, the food, the dogs, away from the trash. The glass on the window slid down like a piece of ice on an icy surface. The wind touched my face and the smell of flowers filled me in. It filled my lungs, that jungle scent, an infusion of orange-like aromas, the most delicate yet somehow strongest flower scents, all combined with that river water smell and the wetness of that jungle soil. <clears throat> It all mixed together. The longer we drove into the jungle, the darker it got, the greener it got, the hotter it got, and the sound of water, it got stronger, stronger, until its presence was revealed. The crystalline particles moved, they moved against the wind like ants streaming in the same direction. 
That rolling sensation, the friction so loud, so tangible I could feel it. The tire against a rocky and muddy surface, moving slowly with the wind, approaching the crystalline flowing water. As we ventured more into the jungle, the roads got narrower. We entered the waterfall regions. The ground was so flooded. The tires lost that highly appreciated friction. The crystals moving, the tires moving with the crystals, not forward, but sideways. We were moving sideways with the flowing water in the same direction. We slid, slid, slid until we reached the edge of the road. And it was so close, it was so close. I looked down and I saw the deep mysterious fall, going right into that mysterious emptiness, into the greens of the jungle. The trees filled with vegetation, whose leaves moved with the wind in the same direction. And just like that, we went deeper into the jungle. We ventured into the mystical world, a world of vivid and lucid dreaming, a world where everything is possible, where the impossible can escape the reality. Then all of a sudden, everything changed. We hit the end of the road, the sky all of a sudden getting lighter, and we started hiking up a mountain. We were getting closer to Gondorbamba. I saw a tiny bright spot in the sky within the darkness of the jungle, and slowly it grew bigger. It colored the sky, framing with orange the birds on flight, and all of a sudden the colors of the sky changed, fast and continuously, a race of colors, a race of colored ribbons, the reds, the yellows, the oranges, the mountains now visible, no bird, the birds no longer hidden, no longer mysterious. They flew with such pride, showing off their colors, playing with the sun, playing with the sunlight, from valley to mountain, from darkness to an ever-golden glitter, the sun rising, moving with vigor, in a continuous dance with the colored ribbons. And at the top of the mountain, I saw the chickens, the donkeys, the horses, moving freely in the cold, glowing waters of the river. We approached a golden field, surrounded by mountains, their surfaces touched by the sun, leaving golden scars on the moving grass, little wooden houses visible in the distance. We walked in through a plantain chakra and arrived at a soccer field-like space, a little white school on the right with a large red roof, three little adobe houses straight ahead, and farther away, a little gray-colored room made out of mud, its mysteriousness shining through the windows, its darkness revealing. We entered the little gray room, struggling not to step on the fast-moving chickens. We opened the door, a gray bed, a gray desk, an old white broken chair, and an oxidized scale. With spider web crawling through the metal, dust falling through the holes, this was our only health clinic. And there we were in Condorbamba. We took out the medications, emptied the long black bag, the iron supplements, the vitamins, the antibiotics, the vaccines. The patients walked in slowly. We waited. A boy with a necrosized finger, the blind old people, those with the never fixed broken bones, the endless number of tiny kids with anemia and malnutrition. Then a seven-year-old girl walked in. She was alone. She greeted us, sat down. She asked. I saw the matureness in her brown almond-shaped eyes. She looked older, the knowledge shining through the creases of her coffee-colored skin. She lifted up her shirt the veins of a blue-purplish color, spreading out from her swollen, round belly button. Coming out at us like an evil spider, there was an infected, partially necrosized hole in her belly button. The absence was big. The rupture inside her warm skin must have been of great magnitude. Yet her face was calm, wise, kind, knowing. Itu mama? Dr. Ninjari asked. Where's your mom? 
Trabajando, she said. Her mom had gone away to work. ¿Qué tengo? What do I have in my stomach? She asked as she pushed away her black strings of long black doll and thin hair in her messy ponytail. Dr. Nanjari and I looked at each other, knowing. Necesitas operación, she said, or he said. She needed surgery, soon. Her mom was not around. She was working at the chakra in the fields far up the mountain. We gave her pain medication. There was nothing else to be done. There with such limited resources. Gracias, she thanked us. Her brown eyes wide open, staring right into my eyes, knowing. She turned around and walked away, slow paced steps. Her gray long skirt moving from side to side, her black ponytail falling on her shoulders, contrasting with the old pink, light pink short sleeve uh, she was wearing. Her hair moving with the wind, occasionally covering her face, touching her coffee-toned skin. She walked slowly until she vanished. I never saw her again. So this is just one of the examples of many like things that I saw in SSD. And sometimes it's really hard to talk about it. Like I know we talk about the happy things, like all the experiences that we had together as a group, but then we try to forget and just like not talk about the hard things we saw. And like the truth is that like a lot of us, and I would say that I like I can say that mo I think all of us had like really hard experiences when we went, like just things that you see and you know you can't do anything about it. And like for me, I'm a senior uh, pre-medical student and I wanted to get some experience like within the medical field. But then I never knew it was gonna be so hard just because like you see like things that we have here that like we take them for granted. And like when I was there just like seeing that like patients with things that here would be treated like right away, sometimes they would even like, they could die because they didn't have the resources to like get treated. And all of those things were really hard but I can take from SST that like this was a great experience and because of that I know that like the goals that I had on becoming what I wanted to become are even stronger because I wanna, I know that like we can't change it all but I think when you go on SSD just like seeing that there are so many things that you could do for other people that here people just take for granted or something that can be like changed or replaced with anything and I am very glad that I went and did this and even though I saw things that were really hard to deal with I would say the SST was one of the best experiences ever. So if you already went, you know what I'm talking about. And if you haven't, well, then you should be excited because it's going to be awesome. All right. So if you were a member or went on the, these last three SST uh, trips to Peru, could you please stand up? And I can see all y'all, so stand up. Everybody, awesome. Could you come stand down here or in the front? So now we're going to have Morgan uh, lead everyone in singing Be Thou My Vision. Um, this, specifically the second um, SST group, the spring group that went, sang this song at an interfaith church service at Buen Pastor. Um, so just so that you know, we will be singing the first two verses in English and then the last two ver verses in Spanish. And everybody should sing along. And stand. Be thou 